Well, I love that song and I love that chorus, Holy, Holy, Holy. Reminds us of how different and distinct God is. It's also amazing that God says through Christ, you and I can be considered holy. That God sees us as holy. Again, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Today we're going to talk about a continuation of Jesus and his setup of this new organism and organization called the church. And today with that we're going to talk about something that's one of the weakest areas in my spiritual life. And that is dynamic, deep, and ongoing prayer. And I've often noticed a pattern that when circumstances are going down, my prayer life goes up. And when circumstances are normal or, or going up, my prayer life goes down. And so God had been convicting me about that recently, and specifically convicting me of self-sufficiency and uh, you know, depending too much on my own resources. So I was praying one day, I think it was two weeks ago, and just asking God to, to speak or to lead in whatever way he wanted to. And as I was praying, I felt like God was giving me a, sort of a, a nudging, a word, a leading, and the word was Hezekiah. I can't remember the last time I studied Hezekiah. So I I thought, okay, well, if that's sort of what you're leading, I'll look that up. So I looked it up, and the first verse that referenced my Bible software was 2 Chronicles 32. He he comes in before that, but that's the first one that popped up. So I opened my Bible to 2 Chronicles 32, and it said, Hezekiah allowed his heart to be lifted up, to be self-sufficient, to depend on his own resources. And God called him to humble himself of the arrogance and pride. And it, as I read that, it was like the Holy Spirit had been tapping me on the shoulder for a couple weeks now about taking credit from him, needing glory, and depending on my own resources. Specifically, I did this narrative sermon um, from Luke's life several weeks ago, and one of the things I love about writing those and putting those together is I try and memorize as much as I can directly word from word for the, from the Scripture so the Scripture can come to life. One, it's kind of fun for me, and two, it's a a challenge, and three, it allows the Bible to speak for itself. But the Holy Spirit has sort of tapped me on the shoulder because several people said, hey, I really enjoyed the narrative, really enjoyed that. And as they mentioned, I said, hey, did you notice how much of it came from the Scripture? Did you notice how much it was word for word from those chapters? Part of that was my passion for it, but part of that was like me wanting to take credit. Did you realize I memorized word for word from the Bible there? And it was like the Holy Spirit saying, you're doing a demonstration about my work on the cross, and you're trying to make sure you get enough credit for what you memorized. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit still works in our hearts, works in our lives, works through the Word, and prayer is one of the main mechanisms by which God wants to direct us, convict us, and speak to us. And today, Jesus is going to recruit his team, the disciples and apostles, And in doing so, he is going to demonstrate how critical prayer is to his entire ministry. He's going to model it. He's going to make it a key principle. And as he gathers his disciples together, he's going to give them a mission or vision about what it means to be a kingdom of priests. We're going to trace that all the way back to Moses. A kingdom of priests. And imagine a priest. You may not think of yourself as a priest. I hope by the end of today you will. But imagine a priest that doesn't talk to God. Wouldn't it be a silly idea? 
a priest that doesn't know how to commune with or talk to or have a regular communication with God. See, a priest that, that doesn't pray would be like a phone that doesn't call. Sure, you can play games on it, you can watch YouTube on it, but the phone was designed to call. And a priest was designed to have communion with and communication with God. And what we're going to find today is that you and I are made to be a priest, a priest who can pray and commune with God and speak to others about God. So we're going to look at two keys to these communications, and, and I hope that you'll be able to discover that prayer can help realign us to remember who we are, who we're depending on, and what our mission is in life. Our first principle is that, our first key to communication is communication through prayer to God and to others reminds us who we are and who we're depending on. The passage begins and it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went to a mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer. This is not like a quick prayer, hey God, bless what I'm already doing. This is a all night, I need your guidance, I need your direction kind of prayer. I mentioned this first key is that communication, prayer, reminds us who we are. We'll find out in a moment how that works. But also who you're depending on. Think about your prayer life for a moment. If we were going to have a barometer of who you depend on based on your current prayer life, what could we conclude? I think if you looked at my prayer life most of the time, you would conclude that Chad is dependent upon his own resources, his own talents, his own track record, his own instinct, his own gut, much more than he's dependent upon God if you tracked just his prayer life. Now Jesus is God in the flesh. He continues to to prove that, to claim that. And so Jesus, who is God, if there's one person who would not need to depend on God and have a great dynamic prayer life, it would be God. And yet Jesus, as God, will demonstrate a regular need to commune with the Father, to remind himself of who he is, and to depend on God regularly. And so here he goes up to a mountaintop, spends all night in prayer... At the end of this time in the mountain, having heard from God, he calls his disciples to him and picks 12 of them to be his apostles. And I think the typical Jewish reader reading this would immediately see the correlation between this and Moses. The ultimate Moses who went up on a mountain to get the law and came down and had 12 tribes of Israel that he led out of bondage and into a new, um, a new land... Jesus is setting himself up as the new Moses. He goes up to a mountain, hears from God, comes down, picks 12, not 3, not 7, not 50, 12 leaders to be part of this new community that God began so many years ago. And the parallels here are pretty significant when you begin to look at at Exodus as well. Because notice Moses goes up to God, God called him from the mountain, Jesus goes up a mountain, also is hearing from God. God speaks to him. And look what God says back to Moses. What he's all about. What he's starting up even then. You, my people, are going to be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth's mine, but you're going to be a special treasure. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. 
Now, that wasn't just the priests or just the tribal leaders. He wanted every single person in this new community to be part of a kingdom where everybody was a priest. And you're going to be considered a holy nation. This is the new identity you're going to have. The new vision you're going to have. These are the words which we speak to you, to the children of Israel. And as soon as Moses gets this message, he also calls, just as Jesus calls his disciples, he calls the elders of the people together to go about this. Now Jesus is going to continue that mission that began with Moses of forming a kingdom of priests and a new community who can talk to God as a priest and represent God to people as a priest as well. That's why prayer is so important. I mean, in a given week, do you feel like a holy nation? I don't. I look at my track record for the given week or night or, or, or last month. It doesn't feel, feel very holy. Talking to God reminds me of my identity in Christ, that I am holy before Him. You are a special treasure to God. And that God has a mission for you to be a kingdom of priests. We need regular connection with God to be reminded of, of who we're depending on. And also, we're part of a larger story, a bigger kingdom. That's really what prayer does. Prayer reminds us that we're part of a bigger kingdom. In 2016, John Glenn passed away. But he had spent his life building his career in NASA. He'd worked his way up the chain, you know, one step up, two steps up. Finally, he gets to the top of the stack. He's the first man ever to orbit the earth. And he talked about being out in outer space, seeing the, the, the stars and the moon and the perspective of being orbiting the earth, that it was impossible for him to be an atheist. That he didn't think in that moment, wow, look how I've earned. I'm the first man ever to orbit the earth. He said, my faith increased that I was a small part of a much larger picture. He said on his second orbit around the earth, he prayed every single day and had this unique connection with God, understanding he was part of a bigger picture. And God wants the same thing to happen to us, that we should increasingly be humble as we realize, as we talk with God and see his kingdom and his, his vision, that we're a small part of something far bigger. And despite our resources, despite our success, despite our resumes, we should be increasingly aware of how dependent we really are on God. I told a part of the story about a year ago, but I'll finish the story up. heard Alan Mulally uh, speaking about the 2008 days of being at the forefront of the CEO of Ford, right, when the financial crash hit. At the time, his salary was more than all of the other CEOs of the other car industries combined. He had been CEO of Boeing, a lot he could have depended on his own resources. But he was about to negotiate one of the largest loans in U.S. history. And as he was talking about this, somebody in our church came up to me on a Saturday night and said, hey, I remember talking to him that day. And I remember him noticing a verse in my cubicle or whatever it was or my office. And he turned to me and said, could you pray for me today? We're going to need divine help to negotiate the largest financial deal in history. Because a lot of people, a lot of careers, a lot of people's jobs are on the line. So here's someone who, again, could have leaned on his own resume. But was saying, we're going to need, I've done my diligence, but we need God. I need God even as a leader. And that's what prayer does. And again, Jesus is modeling this idea that even as the Son of God, God himself, 
he's dependent upon the Holy Spirit leading him and directing him. And prayer really, if you think about prayer, it's really talking to God, sharing honestly about where you are. Sometimes that's sharing honestly that you're angry, that you're doubting. God wants you to share your life with him. I was down in Cancun this week. Several guys, new to church, been coming because of friends who attended here. Some of them prayed for the first time in their life out loud and said, I've never prayed out loud before. Being around other guys who pray out loud, I'm going to give it a shot. I remember a guy attending our church came to Christ several years ago and he said, I thought you had no prayers. I had memorized a few prayers as a kid. I didn't realize you could just sort of talk to God normally, even talk slang to God if you want. That was really profound for him to realize that communication with God is just like talking on a phone. God, let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you what I'm struggling with. But God wants us to be priests who know how to communicate with God. And, And notice here what happens. Jesus comes down from the mountain... And he feels led by the Holy Spirit after this time of prayer to choose 12 apostles. And one of them is going to be named Simon, and he will rename him Peter. And Peter, who will be on mission with Jesus for three years, will be so struck by this new community God has formed that he will write in 1 Peter, word for word, what God had called Moses to create back in the book of Exodus. Peter writes, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, he's not writing to pastors. He's writing to Christians. That every Christian, God sees you as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sound familiar? Back in Exodus. His own special people, a special treasure. That this is this new idea. This is grace. Not that any of us earned any of that, not any of us are are qualified for any of that, but because of what Jesus did, we are now holy and special and we're priests. And then we have a purpose with this new identity, which is right there, Peter says, that, that this new identity, this new forgiveness, this new grace, that you would do something with that, that you would proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. That if you understand the grace and identity of God, you can't not try and proclaim that to people who don't understand, who haven't yet come to that conclusion. That's your mission in life. Whatever else you do, it's to proclaim the new identity of grace that you have from Jesus. Now think of a priest for a moment. Think of maybe God over here and priests over here, I mean people over here. A priest's job was to be in between those two. A priest would take the needs of the people and communicate that to God through prayer. God, we need some some healing over here. We need some comfort over there. God, so-and-so needs some wisdom over here. So you would represent the people before God. That's what a priest did through prayer. A priest would also talk to God, listen to God, and then he would represent God to the people the way he lived. I'm trying to love like God. The God of the kingdom loves. I'm trying to be generous like the God of the kingdom is generous. I'm trying to be gracious and kind in the way I interact with people. So that you get to see what God is like by the way I live. That's how you proclaim. So if you and I are a priest, we have a dual purpose. To proclaim people to God and to proclaim God to people. That's what priests do. And that's the purpose God has put us here on earth is to do that. 
And prayer is a major part of that. Communication is a major part of that. I'm communicating people's needs to God and I'm being communicated by God to represent how I live my life today. And from the very beginning of our church, we have tried in the same way Jesus modeled prayer to make prayer a major part of our church. I mean, two years before we launched publicly, we spent two years praying about this launch. We have a prayer team every service that is praying for these services as they go on. Walking through offices, praying over individual people. Part of our bylaws when we began the church requires that the elders and exec board, I'm on both, take at least 24 hours a year, 24 hours in, in each year, to fast and pray. Often we'll take a, you know, two or three days um, to pray over the years, but we at least, the bylaws require us to take at least one full day and fast together and pray together to sense God's leading in the church. So when I came 15 years ago, I was amazed that we, and we continue this practice, every single person that attends our church, we print out their name. And as leaders, we pray through every single family and every single individually. Uh, We pray as a team for protection of marriages, for guidance and for direction. And over the years, it's been amazing how God has led us in very challenging times. It was 2008 for us. We had bought this property, but we weren't sure if it was time to move forward. Nobody else in the country was building in 2008. We'd been praying for dirt for years. We had the dirt in place. And I remember being on this conference call and just debating and praying and listening to God and sensing that we were supposed to move forward with building this building, even in 2008. What's amazing is if you tried to build this building today, it'd be like two or three times the cost. Because no one was building, and many people had prayed and been giving for two years and four years, cash was king, and we were able to build this debt-free, this building, with incredible amount of, uh, you know, spending pennies on the dollar because of the time in history, because we'd heard from God. But even as we went through that process, we continued to make prayer an emphasis. I've shared some of these stories, but I went and found some of the old pictures. Right here in this location, it looked like this. We outlined the facility with that yellow tape, and we put a big yellow balloon where the chapel would be. At the time, our equipping service that you're in right now had maybe 75 to 100 people attending. And we're building a room that would hold 500. Would it feel like, oh my goodness, that was pretty presumptuous. But we prayed that God would fill this room with people who wanted to go verse by verse through the Bible. Little would we know in eight years we would have two services like that. And we'd have to add two exploring services on top of it. But we gathered together in church on the green. We prayed over this very spot, 12 feet lower where the dirt, before the dirt was brought in, that God would use this space. Then we had another balloon over where the student ministry area was. And people prayed that God would use our student space and our children's space. Not just to be babysitting, but to anchor a new value system and that people would really connect with God. And we prayed over this space, that this would be holy land, that this would be a land that that no spiritual force could break into, that fear would be kept out, that, that deception would be kept out. This would be a place that people sensed God was here when they came on our property. It was during that time many people began to pray about whether or not they were called to, to give to be part of this, to create this new vision that we felt like God was leading us to. So we had this church on the green, and on church on the green, we passed out these butterflies, and we asked everybody to pray for a specific person, and then take a golf tee and push that butterfly all over the property. And so we had the whole area covered in butterflies, each representing a person we were going to invite, and we were praying that God would allow us to have a conversation 
to eventually invite into a relationship with God, maybe through our services. It's just so beautiful seeing all those butterflies, a reminder of the prayer that we had those days. Then a couple years went by, and we started getting the building up and running. This is me back when I was young and had hair, so that's a great picture right there. Um, When we uh, had a day with a drywall open, we asked everyone to come in that day for a tour and to write names and prayers on the actual building itself before we drywalled and painted it. So if you look behind the drywall, if you look behind the areas of the church, underneath that you're going to see prayers. That this whole building was constructed with prayers embedded in it because we want God to make this a special place that people could hear from and connect with God. So this prayer is literally written all over this building because we wanted this to be a place where God spoke, where God directed So prayer has always been part of our DNA, and it continues to. And I think Jesus models this in such a powerful way. And look at the application now. He's heard from God. He's calling disciples. And that gets us to our second key of communication, which I think is really interesting. Which is that communication and prayer brings a unity of vision to a community of diversity. And if you look at the team he's recruited, it looks like prayer doesn't work, quite frankly. Who in the world would pick these 12 guys to be the leaders of the church? I mean, just look at the list. He picks Simon, who's going to deny him, three times Peter. Andrew, his brother. James and John got a nickname of Sons of Thunder because they had such an anger problem. They kept asking God to burn the people, send down fire on those people who are rejecting you rather than loving them. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew worked for the government. He's a government official. He also teams up with Simon the Zealot, who is an anti-government guy. I mean, one of these guys is watching CNN every night. The other one's watching Fox News every moment of the day. And he puts them together on a team. Judas is going to end up being a traitor. Jesus has this unbelievable diverse community and he's going to teach people with different political views, different anger issues and doubting issues. Thomas doubts. He's going to teach them how to love one another and then how to love their enemies and how to be a community with a vision of being a kingdom of priests to bring God's kingdom love into this world that's so in desperate need of it. And it's again such an eclectic group, which doesn't speak to, wow, he picked the right people as much as what kind of a leader must Jesus have been to have taken these 12 guys and use them to turn the world upside down. See, often you think, wow, the disciples, they must have been really holy people. Not at all. It says more about Jesus that he was able to take these 12 guys and change the world because of how screwed up they were, how self-centered they were, how narrow-minded they were. But Jesus has opening this kingdom to all of us that whatever mistakes you make, whatever rough edges you have, whatever doubts you have or, or anger you struggle with, God can use you to be part of his kingdom of priests. Reminds me of a news reporter who came and spoke to Andrew Carnegie one time. Andrew Carnegie had more millionaires working for him than existed in the rest of the world at the time. And the news reporter said, how did you get so many millionaires working for you? Andrew Carnegie said, they weren't millionaires until they started working for me. He said, but here's a principle of leadership I've learned. 
If you want to mine for gold, you got to move a lot of dirt to find a little gold. But you don't go into the mine shaft looking for dirt. You go looking for gold. But each of the men I've developed, each of the leaders and the women I've developed on my team, I had to move an awful lot of dirt to refine the gold that was in them. And the same thing is true of Jesus. That's what grace is. He's willing to move a lot of dirt to find, to conform you into the image of Jesus, to make you into, teach you how to be a kingdom of priests who can live with the kind of joy and hope and dependence that you were born for and designed for. A kingdom of priests who hear from God and communicate to God by grace. And again, this team of rivals reminds me a little bit of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln uh, was known for his team of rivals. He got people who totally disagreed with him on his council. Winston Churchill did the same thing with his war council. He even had Neville, who he just replaced as prime minister, serving with him. Yet most of us don't know who was on Lincoln's team or who was on Winston Churchill's team. The diversity of the team of rivals spoke to the brilliance of the leader who could bring people together with a common vision despite their diversity. And Jesus is the same way. Jesus brings people together, 12 disciples, to transform the world by being a kingdom of priests that know how to talk to God about people and how to represent and proclaim God to others. But of course, again, if you look at what happened, the results of it, you think that prayer doesn't work. Because even of the 12, he loses one, right? Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Why would Jesus pick Judas knowing he was going to betray him? Why would he pick Peter knowing he would deny him? Because the kingdom's about grace. Jesus is willing to befriend people who betray him. Love people who will deny him. And grow you through the process. Even if you have doubts to say, you know, blessed are those who've seen and believed, Thomas. But let's get to the place where we can not see and yet believe. And there's going to be times in your prayer life, if you begin to sort of build into and grow into a deeper connection with the Holy Spirit. And a deeper connection to God and through prayer. That you're going to wrestle with things not going the way you hoped. You're going to have some Judas Iscariot moments and say, I prayed about this and this has not worked out the way I hoped. I think it's helpful to remind yourself what prayer is and how God answers. Prayer is both talking to God about your life. That's the priestly aspect. It's also listening to God, often through the Bible, about your life. God, what do you want to tell me about myself? What do you want to convict me about my attitudes? What do you want to tell me about the way I handled the day today? And when you go to God in prayer, sometimes God is going to say, go. That's a great request. Go for it. Yes, 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 yes. And doors are going to fly open. You're going to say, wow, this prayer thing really works. There's other times you're going to pray about something as fervently and as passionately as you've ever prayed about something. And that door is not going to open. It's not going to budge. And God's going to not say go. He's going to say no. And you're going to pound on that door. You're going to be frustrated. This is a good door. This is a good thing. God, how could you not open this door? And God's going to say no. And he's going to say, I want you to trust that I'm still good. And the reason I say no is because I know more than you do. 
Grumble, grumble, grumble. Other times God is going to say, slow. That is a great opportunity you're asking for. It's a great thing you're praying for, but it's going to go slower. It's not ready yet. The opportunity is not ready yet. That person needs to, to grow a little bit more before that prayer comes to be. The opportunity needs to season a little bit more. You're ready, but that thing you're asking for isn't quite marinated enough. So slow down. I'm saying yes, but not yet. And a mark of maturity is being able to recognize the difference between no and not yet. Especially in your spiritual life. Other times God's not going to say no or go or slow. He's going to say grow. The opportunity is ready, but you're not. If I put you in that situation, if I answer that prayer now, pride is going to overwhelm you. And you're going to destroy that thing and yourself because I put you in leadership too soon. I gave you access to resources too fast. And you don't have the character yet to handle the responsibility. So grow. So think of that as you go into your time of prayer, how God might be speaking. Because I find these are four ways he speaks into my life very often in prayer. And I always prefer the go, but I often hear grow. So how's your prayer life? Are you like that priest? Maybe today you're like, I never thought of myself as a priest. Well, in Christ, you're a priest. So what kind of a priest are you? Are you a priest that prays? Or you're like a phone that can't make a call. Maybe it's time for you to step into your priestly duties. To learn how to both pray and proclaim. Because remember, a priest that doesn't pray is like a phone that doesn't call. And maybe you've spent a lot of your life building up your own kingdom. Entertaining yourself like a phone that can't call. But you haven't really learned how to listen to and connect with God. If so, here's the two things I'd encourage you to work on. And to challenge yourself with. One, how can I learn to pray like a priest individually? How can I learn to get better at this prayer thing? And two, how do I learn to proclaim like a priest to the world? Because as soon as Jesus hears from God and calls his disciples, the very next thing he does is he goes and proclaims to a huge group of people from different places in the world. Because he knows that priests pray and they proclaim. That's what they do. Remember, we are called as special people, a holy nation, that you might proclaim the one who took you out of darkness into the marvelous light. As we've been talking the last couple weeks and even months about our need to expand, because our 8.50 service, our 10 o'clock service, we don't have optimal seats at those optimal inviting hours, it would be a lot easier to say, oh my goodness, after everything God's done the last 20 years, The average church in America is 80 people. Success. Check. I think we're doing fine. It'd be easy to say, well, let's just be done. But our last exec board retreat we did last year, we prayed and fasted as a team. We felt like this was the season. We actually delayed it two years because we didn't feel like it was quite the right time that we'd heard from God yet. That we were supposed to ask every person in the church to pray about whether or not we wanted to create space to proclaim to more people to create more space for our friends. To be priests. Because priests proclaim. So I would just encourage you, over the next you know, couple weeks, maybe the next couple months, to pray about, ask God, hear from God, what role he might want you to play in that. It's always joking whenever people have some kind of a building campaign, although ours certainly isn't high pressure. It's people like, you know, go to another church for six weeks. You know, I think it's trying to check out Crossroads for six weeks. Um, 
But I tell you, I have just so seen when people have heard from God, especially in the area of money, it has grown them in their faith in significant ways. In the same way that people gave so that this building and this place could be here for you and I, so we could proclaim to you and your friends. Maybe you'd like to hear from God and pray and connect with God. Don't miss the opportunity to ask God what he might do. And I've had many people say, well, how do you want us to give? Is this one sum or is this, you know, a, 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 a one-year pledge or three-year pledge? Whatever God leads you to do. Some people made a, a year pledge. Some are going to make a three-year pledge. Some are going to lump sum. Our goal is to get you to connect with God so we can create space. We don't have an, a, a, a whole system in place. Because our goal is spiritual connection, learning how to pray, learning how to proclaim, learning how to do what Jesus did when he began to tell the crowd of people and the huge crowds from Judea and Jerusalem and Tyre and Sidon to tell them about this new kingdom of grace and forgiveness. About two years ago when my back was out and lots of difficulties going on, my prayer life was really, really dynamic. And one of the things I used to help pray deeper, more uh, warfare-type prayers. I want to give you the website because I still use this. I've, I've been re-engaging this about a month ago. If you go to ransomheart.com backslash pray, there are several really bold, audacious prayers. I just was doing the one from Colossians last night. And there's a daily prayer, there's a head of household prayer, there's a prayer to receive Christ, there's a bedtime prayer. What I do is I actually play it on my phone and I play it in my right ear while I'm laying in bed and I just repeat what he says one or two words after it. And really about re-identifying yourself with Christ, baptizing or identifying yourself into Christ's death and resurrection and forgiveness and shame and how to stand against the spiritual forces of deception and destruction in your life. So this is helpful for you. If you want to engage in some battlefront kind of prayers, this has been very helpful for me in my life. I did it for about a year, two years ago. I've just recently re-engaged in it. It's ransomheart.com backslash prayer. Maybe you want to pray what God has for you this year. Maybe part of engaging and hearing from God in the Word is going through our startup study. And saying, God, I want you to speak to me. Convict me. Grow me. Maybe this is the year you want to pray about how you might want to serve here at the church in some way. God, I've been receiving a lot. I've been burnt out at a previous church or I never really have served uh, in a church. I've served on boards and all kinds of other areas. Maybe God's calling you to serve other people the way you've been served well. We got a team right now in Belize. We got a video team down there videotaping them. I was in Cancun last week and maybe you've never been on a trip like that. You want to pray and say, God, would you want me to have a cross-cultural mission experience because every time it was so exciting to hear guys talk about what God has done one, two, and three years into the trip. How they've spiritually grown by giving of themselves. Or again, like I mentioned, maybe God's calling you to be part of either our, a million dollar fundraiser or the additional 200,000 operational fund that we're trying to grow so that we can expand God's work here. Whatever it is, don't miss the opportunity to sensitize yourself to the Holy Spirit. To sensitize yourself to His voice. I remember a friend of mine who was in Chicago in college. He had a professor who, who was a Native American, lived on a reservation. He came to visit him in Chicago. As they were walking through the downtown Chicago area, lots and lots of noise. You know, there's taxis, people yelling, ah, noise and crowds and just typical urban noise. And as they were walking together, the Native American friend turned to my buddy Peter and said, Did you hear that? I hear lots of things. What are you talking about? I hear honking and car alarms. No, no, listen. 
Did you hear the cricket? The cricket? It's like, no, really. And he stooped down. And on the streets of Chicago, he found a cricket. My friend Peter was like, how in the world did you hear that cricket? He said, well, over the years, I've sensitized myself to recognize what a cricket sounds like. He said, well, that's amazing. He said, not really. Everyone around here has sensitized their voice and their ears as well. He's like, no, they haven't. He said, oh, they have. He's like, what have the people in the city sensitized themselves to? He said, watch. Every head within 20 yards turned. Money's fallen! See, our culture has sensitized us to hear certain things. But if we're not careful, we won't sensitize ourselves to hear the Spirit's voice, the still, quiet voice, who wants to encourage us, infuse us with courage, give us wisdom, and teach us what His voice sounds like and how we can be free from shame and guilt and proclaim the grace of a God who loves us and wants to embrace those who don't yet know Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and Your love. Thank You for being such an incredible demonstration of prayer. And God, I just confess that often my prayer life is an indication of how much I depend on me and not You. So in the words of John the Baptist, Father, may I decrease and You increase. And may we be part of a community that's dependent upon You And isn't becoming a holy huddle, but instead continuing to reach out and invite others to come know an incredible God that would call us out of darkness into light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. See you all next week.